Well, you may not recognize his name, John Stephen Aquari, uh, but there's a good chance you've seen a YouTube video of him. It went viral a number of years ago. Inspirational video. Aquari was a marathon runner. He ran back in the 1968 Mexico Olympics. Uh, he came from the country of Tanzania, lowlands, and so one of the problems he immediately faced as the race began, you're running in the high altitude of Mexico City, his legs began to cramp up, but John kept running. Then about the middle of the race, he got elbowed to the track by a couple of fierce competitors. He bruised his shoulder, he dislocated one of his knees, but John kept running. He was kind of hobbling more than running by now. Word came that the winner of the race had already crossed the finish line, far ahead of John, but John kept running. An hour after the winner won the race, John finally entered the arena where the runners do their last lap. I mean, he was dead last, but thousands of fans had heard he was on the way, and so they stayed, and when he entered the stadium, they burst into, into loud cheering. And afterwards, a reporter asked him, why? Why did you do it? Why did you keep on running? You could have dropped out. And, and John said, he said, my, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. I love that. Now today we're going to talk about finishing the race. What race am I talking about? Well, three weeks ago we began a four-part series called Next, Pursuing God's Big Plan for Your Life. Okay, God has a, a big plan for every one of our lives. Uh, unfortunately, many of us insist on pursuing our own plan because we think our own plan's pretty big. But unfortunately, we miss out on the eternal significance and eternal reward of pursuing God's big plan. So do you know what's next on God's agenda for your life? How do we figure that out? We have been studying an Old Testament character by the name of Nehemiah, who is our role model in this regard. So I hope you brought a Bible with you. Would you turn one last time to Nehemiah? Okay, you'll find it shortly before the book of Psalms in the dead center of your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 8. The first week of the series, I introduced you to the concept of BHAGs, big, heavenly, audacious goals. And I said the key to capturing a BHAG is to find a significant need to meet because BHAGs are not about self-improvement, they're about others' improvement. What, what can we do that will benefit others? You know, find something to do for the sake of others on the job or in your neighborhood or through some ministry of Christ Community Church. Have you captured your BHAG yet? Do you know what your BHAG is? Now, don't feel frustrated if you're still trying to identify your next big, heavenly, audacious goal. Remember that it took Nehemiah days and days of thinking and praying until finally the picture became clear of what God wanted him to do next. So if you're having trouble getting started on God's next big plan for your life, keep looking for that significant need that has your name on it. Now, I would encourage you, do a thorough checking of the ministries of Christ Community Church because we're all about meeting significant needs. And so we can hook you up to the needs of at-risk children or the needs of people in poverty or the needs of Nicaraguans or the needs of folks who are coming to our church and exploring the Christian faith for the first time or the needs of couples with broken marriages, whatever. So, so if, if you're having trouble getting started on God's next big plan for your life, stick at it. 
Now, today, however, our focus is not on getting started on BHAGs. Our focus is on sticking to our BHAGs until we cross the finish line, until we've finished the race. See, a lot of people get started on BHAGs, but they never see them through to completion. Something happens to them along the way that brings their efforts to a halt. They run into roadblocks. They run into discouragements. They run into difficult people. They run into fun diversions, things they'd rather do than pursue BHAGs. That's why today's sermon is called How to Keep a Good Thing Going. The good thing in this case is your BHAG. Once you've started in pursuit of your BHAG, how do you keep it going? Let, let me remind you as we begin today of uh, Nehemiah's BHAG. Okay, Nehemiah was a personal assistant to King Artaxerxes of Persia back in the day when Persia was the superpower of the world, 430 B.C. And Nehemiah was not Persian, he was Jewish, and he heard that back in his homeland of Israel that had been devastated by Babylonians years earlier, the capital city of Jerusalem was still in ruins, and particularly the wall around the city was a heap of rubble which exposed the city to all sorts of dangers. And so God put on the heart of Nehemiah a BHAG, and the BHAG was to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city wall. And he shared this BHAG with his boss, with King Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes supported the project. He gave him a leave of absence from his job. He provided him with building materials for the wall. He gave him a military escort back to Jerusalem. You know, he even gave him a letter of reference. King Artaxerxes is behind this project. So Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, and if you remember what we've learned the last several weeks, he didn't immediately tell anybody what he was up to. Instead, he went out and he inspected the wall. He did his spade work. And only when he was sure of what he was about to attempt did he gather people far and wide, and he cast the vision for this BHAG, and everybody jumped on board. And they got busy building the wall. Now, last weekend, Pastor Clayton told you that after they got building, they started facing obstacles. And that's going to happen to you. Okay, You determine that you're going to pursue some BHAG. You're going to start pursuing God's big plan for your life. You're going to run into obstacles, guaranteed. And so if you missed that last weekend, pick it up online. How to overcome obstacles as you're pursuing your BHAG. Nehemiah and company, they overcame their obstacles, they rebuilt the wall. In fact, according to Nehemiah 6, verse 15, they rebuilt the wall in record time. 52 days they built an entire city wall. It's a miracle. So end of story, right? Not by a long shot. You see, rebuilding Jerusalem's wall was just the first phase of Nehemiah's BHAG. Nehemiah wasn't interested ultimately in brick-and-mortar walls. What Nehemiah cared about were flesh and blood people. And the people that Nehemiah saw in Jerusalem, they were in bad shape. They were demoralized. They, they, they were suffering food shortages and unjust laws and enemy attacks. Their relationship with God was practically non-existent. So Nehemiah wanted to help these people, which meant that rebuilding the wall wasn't his end goal. It was just the, the necessary first phase of his BHAG. You get it? Good. I want to make sure you got it because there's a parallel here, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, to Christ Community Church's next campaign. 
The Christ Community Church, we're currently trying to raise $11 million over and above our regular budget over the next two years because we have five BHAGs we think God has given us as a ministry. Now, if you haven't read about them yet, I, I encourage you to pick up that next campaign booklet and go through the five initiatives that we're pursuing. But as you read them, at first glance, you might conclude, well, this is all about brick and mortar. Most of these have to do with constructing a building. You know, for, for example, in DeKalb, and some of you are watching me right now, in DeKalb, you're sitting in an old farm and fleet building that we rent. But one of our BHAGs, in fact, 40% of our campaign is about relocating you DeKalbers to a brand new campus on 12 acres of Primo property right next to the brand new DeKalb High School, building a building there. Uh, I, I was there a week and a half ago just with uh, several of our leaders on staff to take a look at it once again and pray over the property and was impressed once more with how close we are to the DeKalb High School campus. In fact, the security there stopped us. I said, what are you guys doing here? And we said, well, this is our home. And we're going to be here. We're going to build a church here. And you know, know what? The hub, the student ministry center of that new DeKalb campus, is going to look right across the street at the DeKalb High School. So how cool is, is that? So is this just a brick-and-mortar project? Are you kidding me? That building is going to have an enormous impact on the lives of thousands of people in coming years. It's not just a brick-and-mortar project. It's a people project. See, brick and mortar give us the opportunity to minister to people, whether that brick and mortar be a brand new DeKalb campus or a renovated worship center at our Blackberry Creek campus or uh, the space that we desperately need for staff here at the St. Charles campus, or, or it be the building in which we launch a fifth campus. Got to tell you a little more about that. I leaked some of it a couple of weeks ago, but just in the past week, we are negotiating, almost have signed a contract on that old church building in downtown inner city Elgin. We're not positive. Well, don't be too quick. <laughs> I love it. You guys are pumped as I am. We're not positive this will be our, our, our fifth campus, but in order to lock it in and not have somebody else come and buy the building out from under us, we've got a lease for several months that give us an opportunity to explore this. Are we ready to do an inner city campus? Uh, over 50% of the community is Hispanic there. It would be a trip. So the, these are our brick and mortar buildings, but they have to do with people. Nehemiah had to build a wall before he could effectively minister to the needs of people. Don't miss that point as you pray about what God wants you to give to Christ's community's uh, next campaign. It's about people. It's about people. So the completion of Nehemiah's wall was not the finish line for his BHAG. Nehemiah was just getting started. Uh, the wall was a good thing, but now he had to figure out how to keep a good thing going. How do we keep our BHAGs going? Whether, whether it's your personal BHAG or it's the five BHAGs of our next campaign at Christ Community Church. We're going to take a look at Nehemiah once again to see how he kept things going. Four instructions from the example of Nehemiah. If you haven't taken your, your outline out yet, I would encourage you to do that and fill it out as we go along. How do you keep a good thing going? Number one, study scripture. Study scripture. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8. I want to read the opening verses of this chapter to you. Follow along or look on the screen as I read. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
And all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That means kids, too. Verse 3. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The book of the law is a reference to the first five books of the Old Testament. That was their their scripture. There are a number of things I want you to see in these uh, opening short verses of chapter 8. The first is that this passage is is time-stamped. Look at the opening line, when the seventh month came. Let me tell you why that timestamp is so significant. Okay, back in chapter 6, we learned that the wall was completed on the 25th day of the sixth month. It's now the first day of the seventh month. In other words, it's less than a week later. So these people who were just euphoric over the completion of the wall, what are they doing right now, less than a week later? They're having a huge, celebrative Bible study. Yeah, it's a Bible study going on. Their first order of business after completing the wall was to renew their commitment to studying God's word. Let me say that again. Their their first order of business was to renew their commitment to studying God's word. When we get a BHAG from God, whether that's personally or as a church, it's critical that we keep getting input from him after we've launched the project. We stay in communication with God. Let me give you an an analogy that I hope will will make uh, make this pop for you, okay? It's not the best analogy, but it's the best I could come up with. So back in September... I mentioned to you that a contractor friend of ours had uh, encouraged us to build a little portico over our front stoop. We'd been in the same house for 24 years, and our builder's been trying to tell us for years, you know, it would improve the look, the outside look of your house, and it would be a covering so when people come to your door and it's raining out, they're going to be protected. And we said, yeah, let's do it. And then, then we decided to expand it. We said if we go five feet in either direction, we could actually have this uh, little front porch up front where we could put chairs and wave at neighbors going by and invite them to come up and talk and so on. So we had plans designed, what we wanted. We handed them to carpenters, and that was the last we said until the project was finished, right? You ever done construction on your house? Okay, so I added a room or something. This is a small project. This, is, this isn't a room addition. This is just a little overhang in the front, and yet every day the carpenters were there, we had questions to answer. You know, they would say, well, you want electric out here or not? You, you going to put a railing up around it or leave the railing off? You want beadboard up in the ceiling? Of this. Well, what light fixtures? Have you guys bought some new light fixtures to install? It was one question after another. We were the designers. They were the builders. There had to be constant communication. You with me? Okay, when God gives you a BHAG, that's not the end of the communication. That's the beginning. You have to maintain constant contact with God. He's got to be speaking to you on a regular basis. You got to be a student of God's word. Now go back to chapter 8, the opening three verses. A few things I want you to see in this brief paragraph. Please notice in, in verse 1 that this great big Bible study, it was a grassroots movement. 
You know, this was not a top-down project that Nehemiah and other leaders foisted on the people. They didn't say, okay, it's really important now that we gather for Bible study, everybody get together. No, the verse says that the people of their own accord got together and they invited Ezra, a buddy of Nehemiah, and an excellent Bible teacher to come and teach them God's word. I mean, here, here, here's the point for us at Christ Community Church. Around here, we provide you with all sorts of opportunities to learn God's Word, okay, so that you can grow spiritually. But it's up to you. It's your responsibility to take advantage of those opportunities. So make, it may sound crazy to you for me to say this, but I am not responsible as your pastor for your spiritual growth. If you're in one of our 300 and some community groups, your community group leader is not responsible for your spiritual growth. If you're a middle school, high school student here, our student ministries, pastors, staff, they're not responsible for your spiritual growth. Who is? Yes, exactly. You are. You are. And you only grow as you spend time in God's word. So take the initiative. Do something about it. There's something else I want you to see in these verses. Verse 3 says, Ezra read the Bible to these people and explained its meaning. Everybody was gathered, every man, woman, and child, from daybreak till noon. From daybreak till noon. How long is that? Yeah, we're talking five, six hours. How many of you have ever complained about the length of sermons at Christ's community? No, <laughs> don't even go there. Don't even go there, Really? Five or six hours they listen to the teaching of God's Word. I got a good buddy. I see him when I'm working out frequently. And he told me some time ago he was looking for a good Catholic church to go to. And he said he finally found the ideal one because the priest can get through the homily in less than 20 minutes. And that's, that's what he wants. He wants something short and sweet. Get it done. Get in, get out. Isn't that interesting? We could go and sit for an hour and a half at a movie we could spend two hours in conversation over a cup of coffee with a friend. We can, I mean, doggone it, we could watch the bears for three hours. That is painful. <laughs> and think nothing of it but a sermon from God's word too long? Or, or how about this? I hear this one frequently from people who are not in a community group. They say, you know, I just don't have the time in my week to join a group. Nehemiah and his friends, they, they were hungry for, for God's word. God had given them a BHAG, but they recognized the importance of staying in communi communication with this God that they had heard from. Now, one last thing I want you to notice in the opening verses of chapter 8. Look at verse 4. As Ezra taught the Bible to these people, he stood on a high wooden platform. That high wooden platform probably served a couple of purposes, according to Bible scholars. First of all, it gave everybody the opportunity to see and hear Ezra. I mean, there was no PA system back then, okay? But the second way in which it functioned is that it communicated to people as God's word was being taught, they were under the authority of Scripture, okay? The Bible's up here. And so, so as they were listening to the word, it was not just for the sake of information, it was for the sake of transformation. It was for the sake of God shaping their lives. They were listening for things to do, to obey, to put into practice. And that's always the goal of Bible study. Never, never walk away from reading God's book on your own. 
or discussing it in a community group or hearing a sermon at a weekend service without determining what do I need to apply to my life from this study? By the way, I just gave you the three forms of Bible intake, so let me repeat them. I said whenever you read the Bible on your own. Okay, if you, if you want to hear from God on a daily basis, if you want to know what's next every day, then you got to read the Bible every day. And around here, hundreds of us are following the same Bible reading schedule, so if it would help you, I encourage you to join us. It's put out by a ministry called Scripture Union that's been around for years. We've got hard copies of that Bible reading schedule at Resource at our four campuses. We can also tell you there we've got a little printed out deal how you can go uh, online electronically and get the daily devotion, the Bible reading sent to your phone or your tablet or your, 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 your laptop every day. By the way, don't just go to the App Store because for some strange reason you'll get the British version. And the, uh, they choose different scriptures. Don't know why that is. But if you want to follow with the rest of us, start going after that Scripture Union Bible reading schedule. Listen to God every day. A, a second means of intake, I said, you know, or if you're discussing the Bible in your community group. That's what's great about a community group. You, you discuss it till you understand it, to, till you're able to make application to your life. And then you hold each other accountable for putting it into practice. Now, that's why we got community groups for everybody around here. We've got men's groups and women's groups and couples groups and singles groups and groups for seniors and groups for middle school and high school students, groups for left-handed bowlers. We got groups for everybody, not left-handed bowlers. I made that part up, but everything else is true. We got a group for you that'll meet at a time that you can make it and get you into God's word, allow it to shape your life. You know, the third form of intake is doing what you're doing right now. It's listening to sermons on weekends. But I want to make a case for a moment here for weekend sermons. Because we're living in a day where there is a trend across the country. A lot of Christ followers are figuring, okay, if I read the Bible daily and I'm in a, a small group discussing it, and in addition to that, I listen to it occasionally on Christian radio or a Christian podcast. Then when the weekend comes, that teaching service, worship service of the church is kind of optional, right? Don't really need it. That's a highly individualistic way of looking at the Christian life. But the Bible says following Jesus is a team sport. And what that means is this, when I get up to teach on a weekend or Pastor Clayton or one of our other teaching pastors, our goal is not just to refuel your personal spiritual tank so you can go out and do your thing. You know, our goal is to rally the team. And in fact, that's what we're doing right now during this next series. You know, we're rallying the team. We're, we're saying to you, you know, there are objectives. There are BHAGs that can't be accomplished on your own. They take a team to pull them off. So, so we're going to tell you, we're going to rouse you to follow your own BHAGs. We're going to minister to you personally, but we're also going to rally you as a team and say, join the team. I make no apology for beating the drum for the ministries of Christ Community Church in our weekend services as we study God's word because there are things that we can only do together. You know, together we can launch a fifth campus. Together as we gather on four campuses, hundreds of children are being discipled in our kids' world ministry. 
When we get together, we could put on inspiring worship services. When we gather on second services, uh, on second Saturdays, we can serve the poor of the community together. Together, right now, we have planted over 5,000 churches in Bangladesh. Together. And so the point of this weekend teaching is not simply to give you spiritual input for your personal life, but it's to say, here's what we're going to do together. You get it? And just a footnote to this point, that's why if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, or for that matter, any series, you know, don't walk away saying, well, I got other input, other Bible input during the week. You, you missed out on some team information. So I would encourage you to go back and pick up whatever it is you missed. Number two, you want to keep a good thing going? Number one, study scripture. Number two, confess sin. And we're going to the next chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. Let me read the opening verses to you. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and then spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Now, let let me begin this point by explaining the close relationship between confessing our sins and pursuing our BHAGs. Okay, here it is. Sin removes us from the BHAG playing field. Let me say it again. Let it sink in. Sin removes us from the BHAG playing field. Sin sidelines us, puts us on the bench, puts us on the injured reserved list. You know, we can't pursue big, heavenly, audacious goals, either personally or churchwide, if we're entangled in some sin. I see this all the time, not not only in the lives of other Christ followers, but unfortunately in my own life. You know, we, we become totally ineffective. Listen, we become totally ineffective at accomplishing great things for God if there are God displeasing patterns in our lives that we're not dealing with. You know, you you can't be pursuing BHAGs while you're involved in an inappropriate relationship. You can't be pursuing BHAGs if you're spending so much of your money on yourself that there's little left to give away. You can't be pursuing BHAGs while there's constant conflict in your marriage or while you're captivated by some addiction, whether it's porn or alcohol or or video gaming. You're just on the bench. So confessing sin on a regular basis helps us break the hold that sin has on our lives and it frees us up so that we can pursue big, heavenly, audacious goals. You know, go back to the text, chapter 9, middle of verse 3. These people spent a quarter of a day, you see that? Confessing their sins. I mean, these were the same people who had spent five to six hours listening to Ezra's sermon. Wow. They they were serious about getting right with God. They they were serious about breaking patterns that were keeping them off the BHAG playing field. We got to get serious about regularly confessing sin in our lives. Maybe not a quarter day at a shot, 
But friends, we, we do need to take a little longer doing this than merely praying an occasional generic one-liner like, and God, if I've done anything wrong, please forgive me. Really? Like that's it? And we need to confess our sins to God in a more thorough way. We're going to do that a little, on in our, a little later on in our service as we approach communion, a time of confession. But we need to do this throughout the week probably a number of times during the week. For some of us, it may help if we sit down and take out a piece of paper and write our thoughts out or a journal, or it may help if we go for a long walk and a conversation with God in the woods. We just get some things off our chest. It may help if we end the day by kneeling beside our bed and reviewing our day and saying, God, forgive me for this and forgive me for that. Two additional thoughts about confessing sins that I see in this passage. Look at the beginning of verse 3. What were the people doing before they confessed their sin? Call it out if you see it. What were they doing? Yeah, they were listening to God's word. They were reading God's word together. See, if we're not spending time in God's word, that was our first point today, then we're probably not keenly aware of the junk in our life that needs to be confessed. Think about that. Here, here we, we're sidelined. We're out of the BHAG game because of sins, and we don't even know it. I mean, we think we're doing just fine, and the reason we think we're doing fine is we haven't been getting any feedback from God. i got to tell you, almost every day as I open the Bible and read it, God's Spirit puts his finger on some stuff in my life that needs to be repented of. You know, the Bible says about itself in the epistle of James, that scripture's like a mirror. You look in a mirror and what do you do? You make adjustments, right? So when you look into the mirror of God's word, you find that there are things to be confessed, things to be repented of, things that need to be corrected. Which leads me to the final observation I want to make in these opening verses in chapter 9. Please note that when the people got together to confess their sins, verse 1, they were wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. You say, that's pretty weird. Well, in Old Testament times, this was a means of expressing humility, brokenness before God. You know, put on some rags, get down and dirty and confess your sin. Tell God, I am really, really, really sorry about this. And I really need you to help me change. Confess sins. You want to keep a good, good thing going. You want to stay on the BHAG playing field. Confess sins. Number three, make commitments. If we want to keep a good thing going, make commitments. We've been, we've been looking at the opening verses of chapter 9 about confessing sins. Well, the entire rest of the chapter gives us a detailed accounting of the sins that the people confessed. But then you get to the very last verse of chapter 9, Nehemiah 9, verse 38, and the people turn a corner. Okay, They stop confessing their wrongdoing, and they make a commitment to right-doing. Okay, they make a commitment to right doing. Let me read verse 38, follow along in your Bible of chapter 9. In view of all this, all the sins they've confessed, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. The people are making a binding agreement. What does the agreement include? What are the, what are the people making a commitment to do? 
Well, that's what the the next chapter, chapter 10, is all about. I won't read all the details of chapter 10 to you, but I would like to note one specific item on their list of commitments because it has a lot to do with Christ Community Church's next campaign. One of their commitments, listen, one of their commitments has to do with generosity. One of the commitments, if you read chapter 10, in fact, it gets a lot of airtime in chapter 10, is all about faithfulness in giving to the Lord's work. Let me read just one of the verses to you. Drop down to verse 37 in Nehemiah 10. The people sign this agreement, this commitment. They say, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God. See, we're going to bring to the church, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, of our new wine and olive oil. It was an agrarian society. This was their income, okay? We will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. Those were the pastors. For it's the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. One of their commitments has to do with generosity. All the people understood that if they wanted God's blessing on their BHAGs, both their their personal BHAGs as well as their corporate BHAGs, they would need to make a commitment to giving. They would need to make a commitment to giving. And the Bible's standard amount for giving, we see it here in this verse, the word tithe. It simply means that the first 10% of our, our income is to go back to the Lord. That's the baseline. That's not the ceiling. That's the baseline. If we want God's blessing on our big, heavenly, audacious goals, we've got to take God's standards for generosity seriously. We can't blow off God's instructions in this area of our lives and expect to achieve our God-given goals. Now, there are several things I want you to note here in chapter 10 about a commitment to giving, and I'd like to apply these to Christ Community Church's next campaign, these, these five BHAGs that are, that are going to cost us as a church $11 million to accomplish. The first thing I, I want you to note, and I think this is going to relieve a lot of you, okay, is that leaders are to set the example when it comes to the commitment of giving. Okay, where does giving start? Starts with the leaders. You know, look at the closing verse of chapter 9 again. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. Who's the we? Putting it in writing. It's our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seals to it. And just so we don't miss the message, the first 27 verses of the next chapter are the names of the leaders. Here are the people who are saying, we're all in. We got skin in the game. We're going to make a commitment to giving. Now, last weekend, Pastor Clayton told you, he said, this is the way we operate at Christ Community Church. Over 30 years, we've done like five or six financial campaigns. And every time, we ask the leaders to make their commitment before the rest of the church makes a commitment. And so this past week, we asked all of our leaders to turn in commitment cards because next week, we're going to ask you to bring your commitment card to the next campaign. Now, who do I mean by leaders? I mean the staff of the church. I mean our volunteer trustees and elders. I mean a smattering of our biggest contributors. We said, would you fill out a commitment card in advance? So we had 140 cards turned in. What is the amount that our leaders are committing to give to the next campaign, this $11 million goal? Drum roll, please. Oh, I'm not kidding. I'm not doing this without a drum roll. (laughs) Okay. 
our leaders have made a commitment to give over $4.1 million. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you why this is important. See, you don't want to follow leaders who say you need to give generously and sacrificially if they're not giving generously and sacrificially. You got great leaders at Christ Community Church. You've got people who put it on the line already. Now that leaves $6.9 million for the rest of us, and that's still a hefty goal to accomplish. And I'll be honest with you, some of our leaders haven't turned in their cards yet, and I'm still hoping and praying for that $1 million gift. So if you've been holding out and God's been saying you're the one, okay? And there are a few quarter million dollar gifts I'd love to see, okay? But this next week, as you pray hard, you're following about what you're going to give. You're following in the wake of leaders who've been role models. Now, there's a, there's a second insight that I find really interesting uh, in, this, in this text here. Um, look at verse, uh, verse 28 and 29. After the leaders make their commitment to give, everybody else participated. The rest of the people, verse 28 begins, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple service, servants, all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives, all their sons, daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, the leaders, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. And later on, those commands include the command to give. All the leaders make their commitment, and then the people follow suit. Everybody is committed to obeying God in this matter of giving. Now, at Christ Community Church, we have 1,800 households that give on a regular basis. Now, I'd like to, to tell you that that means a tithe from all of those, but uh, it doesn't. I'm praying that as we grow spiritually, we'll move in the direction of, of a full tithe. But 1,800 households give on a regular basis. You know how many of those households we're praying will participate in the next campaign? 1,800, 100%. In fact, we're actually praying for more than 100% because we recognize that there are many here who've not yet broken the ice of giving to the Lord's work, and we're hoping that this next campaign motivates you to get in the game. So as I told you a couple of weeks ago, whatever you're currently giving to the general budget, continue to give that, but consider prayerfully, pray like crazy, remember Nehemiah? Prayerfully consider what God wants you to give as sacrificially and generously as you possibly can. So if you're currently giving zero to the general budget, keep on giving zero to the general budget. But make a next commitment that will break the ice and be sacrificial and generous. If you're giving $3,000 a year to the general budget, keep on giving $3,000 a year. But give over and above that to the next campaign. As generously and sacrificially as you can. Now what that means, some of you will give that, that gift in a lump sum. Some of you will discover, as Sue and I have in the past, that if you give on a monthly basis, you can actually be more generous. So like if you've got 500 bucks in the bank right now, you could make that gift to the next campaign or you could determine we're going to give 100 bucks a month and you do that for two years, it's now over $2,000. And some of you are going to also, you're going to decide that in order to give generously, I'm going to have to give something up. 
It's going to require the sacrifice of a big vacation plan or a, a new car. Or, one guy told me this past week, he said, my motorcycle is gone. Okay, it's, it's going for this campaign. Somebody else wrote me and said, we're, we're on a roll. We're going to get our mortgage paid off in the next two years. But you know what we decided to do? We decided to put that aside and for the next two years to give generously to the next campaign. We'll finish the mortgage up when the next campaign's over. So we want, we want everybody 100% participation. The third thing I, I want you to note about making commitments to give, look, look at verse 38 of chapter 9 one last time. The people say, we're making a binding agreement. Now listen to the next line. Putting it in writing. Put it in writing. Put it in writing. There's, there's a commitment card at the back of every next campaign booklet. And I'm asking you to fill it out this week and bring it with you next week or go online. You could do this electronically as well. I was listening to a radio talk show this past week and they were interviewing a guy who's written a New York Times best-selling book on goals. And he says one of the most important things to do with goals is to write them down. And so I'd say if God's given you a BHAG through the course of this series, write it down, put it in print. And if you want to participate in the next campaign, which I hope you will, fill out a commitment card. Write down the number. This is what we're going to give. Now, one fourth and final lesson from Nehemiah. You want to keep a good thing going? Number four, celebrate victories. Celebrate victories. Sometime after Nehemiah and the builders completed the wall around Jerusalem, they threw a big party to celebrate the first phase of their BHAG, to dedicate this wall to God. Let me read you just one verse that kind of summarizes what they did. It's chapter 12 now. So flip over a couple of chapters. Chapter 12, verse 27 says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived, and they were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Just a side note here. I studied my way through chapter 11, chapter 12 of Nehemiah this past week, and I saw at least half a dozen references to huge choirs, to loud bands, to festive celebrative uh, parades going on. Nehemiah and his friends really celebrated the launching of their BHAG. That's what we're going to do next weekend at all four of our Christ Community Church campuses during our time of worship. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be rocking. We're actually going to bring, next weekend, we're going to bring into our services all our children from Kids World so they could celebrate as well. What are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the turning in of our commitment cards. So bring your commitment card with you. If you forget it or you've turned one in electronically, that's okay. We'll hand you an extra hard copy. And everybody who turns in a commitment card during this worship blowout, the first part of our service next weekend, we're going to give you an imitation brick. We're going to give you a, an indelible marker and allow you to put your name or the name of your family on that brick and add it to a wall that we're building. We're just going to celebrate. It's going to be a party. If you miss it, you know, or you come and, you know, you're still struggling. You don't have a number yet. You're not ready to make a commitment. We're going to be collecting commitment cards for several weeks after next weekend. In fact, next weekend we, be, we begin a brand new series, so the celebration is only the worship part of the service. 
You know, but continue to pray about what God wants you to give. I hope you'll participate in this next campaign because it takes participating in order to celebrate the victory. See, if you don't have skin in the game, you don't celebrate. I got a very interesting email from a guy this past week. He wrote me to say he's, he's been around the church for years. He said, 17 years ago when we did a financial campaign, in fact, it was the campaign that paid for the auditorium at the St. Charles campus. He said, I, I prayed and I promised God that if my year-end bonus check came and it was a certain amount, I would give that amount to the campaign. And so he said, when I was given my bonus check and I ripped open the envelope, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was the exact amount that I promised to give to the Lord. It's a great story, right? Well, unfortunately, the story didn't end there. He said, you know what I did with the check? I kept it for myself. And he said, the reason I'm telling you this is I just want you to know for 17 years, I've lived with regrets over that decision. And please understand, his regrets were not because he felt guilty or he had to answer to me or to God. Or what. He said the regret that he felt was that he hadn't participated and so the victory wasn't his. He said, I didn't feel like I was part of the celebration. See, I want you to feel part of the celebration. That's going to require that you, you get some skin in the game. I want you someday to be able to walk onto the campus, the new campus in DeKalb, whether you go to the DeKalb campus or you go to one of our other three campuses. You're going to go visit, and you're going to see people streaming into the building, and you're going to say, by the grace of God, I helped make this happen. And that's going to be so cool for you. Or you're going to take a week, and you're going to join a worship service in the renovated auditorium of the Blackberry Creek campus and you're going to look around at hundreds of new worshipers and, and you're going to say, I was part of this. You're going to bump into staff at the St. Charles campus who you know you provided some office space for, some workshop space. You're going to go on a go team trip and recognize that some of your gift went to the support of our II partners. You're going to attend a service at our fifth campus and in some way you're going to say, you know, along with everybody else, God used me to make this happen. And I want that experience for you. I mean that with all my heart. You know, as Clayton said last weekend, when we skip out on opportunities like this, we're the losers. God gets his work done anyway. I want you to celebrate the victory. Now, I'm going to close in prayer. And then when I say amen, we're going to move into a time of communion. What an appropriate way to end a service like this. I'm challenging you to make a commitment this week to the one who committed everything to you, who gave his life on the cross. And so we're going to celebrate communion across our four campuses. Would you pray with me? Lord God, this is a big week for us as a church. For those of us who've kind of backburnered the whole decision, I pray that you'd put it on the front burner. What are we going to give? How are we going to be part of this next campaign? And I pray that our gifts, God, would not be tokens. I pray that our gifts would represent a genuine sacrifice, real generosity on our part to your work. And I pray that you give us great joy as we anticipate not only hearing the final tally of the number, but seeing the projects accomplished that we believe you've given us as BHEX. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.